Welcome to Gen Z Money, episode 41. Um, and I went away traveling by myself. Uh, so I went to kind of Australia and, and Thailand. And a bit of that I used from money that I'd earned from my jobs, from money that I'd earned in that, that business that I'd set up. And I think that taught me a lot as well about kind of financial independence. I'd gone halfway across the world on my own and I knew that I needed to be careful with money I needed to learn how to budget because if I ran out of money there was no one there to help me um, so that was very much about having that experience really having fun and going to all these different places but also knowing kind of when to when to track your money and, and when to know when to stop <laughs> What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Gen Z Money Podcast, where we turn financial peace to your reality. I'm your host, James Bowman, and today's guest from way across the pond, I bring on Matilda, who is a millennial saver on Instagram. Matilda currently lives in the UK, and we break down her personal money story, and we break down all of the similarities between what's going on in Europe in, with finances and also comparing that to the United States. She talks about a whole bunch of products that aren't exactly like what we have in the United States, but I was able to find a whole bunch of comparisons to compare it to, to keep it very relevant to what we do here at Gen Z, which is American finances. With that being said, guys, what you're going to realize in this is that we talked to Brandon in Canada. We talked to Matilda in the UK. And personal finance is kind of similar regardless of where you go. So you guys are still going to get a whole bunch of great knowledge. And you're going to get another perspective on this whole personal finance things, even from someone who is on the almost other side of the world. But without further ado, guys, let's go ahead and get into my interview with Matilda. Before we get into the interview... Let's hear a quick word from today's show sponsors. What's going on, Matilda? Welcome to the Gen Z Money Podcast. How are you doing on this afternoon? Hi, James. Yeah, I'm really good. Thank you. How are you doing? Uh, I am doing awesome. I'm doing awesome. You are our first guest streaming all the way from the UK. So I am super duper excited to not only hear your money story, your upbringing, but also kind of compare it to the U.S. and some of the things that we have on going over here. So I really appreciate you coming on and, and giving us your time today. Oh, well, it's a pleasure to be here and a, a, an honor to be the U.K. guest. <laughs> Absolutely. So I always like to start straight from the beginning, right? Let's go 10-year-old Matilda. Let's say you were in, you know, fourth grade, fifth grade. How was money talked about and viewed in your household as you grew up? So I guess, like, to be honest, money wasn't really talked about much. It was more about the behaviours that my parents taught me. Um, and I think that's probably the, the first lesson that I had was we weren't we weren't really that open about money. And it was kind of perceived as if you talked about, like, the price of things. It was quite rude. 
Um, and I think that was a behavior and maybe that's very kind of much in the UK. Um, and obviously as I've got older, we have a very open conversation between myself and my parents about money. Um, but looking back at it, there was a lot of things that they taught me and they probably taught me without even realizing. Um, and I was raised in an environment where money was comfortable. Um, we, we were a middle-class family. And actually looking back at it, I probably didn't realize how comfortable we were. Um, we were very much, I had what I needed, but we didn't have what we wanted. Um, and other items were considered a luxury. Uh, so one of these were a lot of my friends had Xboxes and Nintendos and my parents were like, you, we won't buy that for you. If you want an Xbox, if you want a Nintendo, you go out and you earn that money yourself. Um, so very much those luxury items were for, for us to attain. Um, and we're definitely taught a lot about kind of budgeting and, and allowances and the value of money a, a, along my childhood. Um, so when I was 12 years old, uh, my grandpa took me to the bank uh, and I opened my first bank account and I got a, a little kind of red HSBC money box, which I loved. I just loved putting in money and like watching it grow and then taking it to the bank. Um, and when I was about 12 to 14, we were given pocket money. So we had an allowance and, you know, if, if that went, you weren't allowed anything else. Um, and then at 14, uh, the pocket money stopped. And that was the age that you could get a job in the UK. Um, so if you wanted any more money, you were to go out and earn it. Uh, so my first job was a pot washer. Um, so not a very glamorous job, but I loved it because I loved that financial freedom that it gave me. Um, I loved getting the little pay packets on a Sunday and walking home along the trail from where I was working at a, at a cafe um, and putting it in that red money box and then taking it to the bank. That's wow. OK, let's let's not <laughs> set that a little bit because that's awesome. So first of all, actually, I'm, I'm going to skip that first question I got because that's a that's a good one for later. So your parents were middle class. They didn't give you everything that you guys ever wanted. They would tell you no. And I think that's pretty it's a pretty healthy relationship. And to tell you, like, if you want these luxuries, you have to work for it. Mm. Um, you open your first bank account at 12 and from 12 to 14, you get an allowance from your parents. Yeah. And at 14, they're like, OK. Now it's time for you to get out there and get your own job. So that's a little bit earlier, you know, in the United States, I think 16 is the age you can work. But of course, if it's with family, you can work younger and there's all the stipulations I don't want to get into. Mm -hmm. But at 14, you said you were a pot washer, which I assume is like a dishwasher for maybe a restaurant. Yes. Yeah. And it was £4.50 an hour. I remember that. I mean, looking <laughs> back, that's not too bad. I mean, I, I don't know the conversion rate, but. At 14, that's a pretty good wage to earn. Yes. Oh, I thought it was like insane amounts. Thought I was absolutely rolling in it. <laughs> okay, so you start working at the age of 14. You, mm -hmm. you get paid on Sunday. You go home, deposit into your little bank deposit thing, and then you go and take it to the bank. And so at 14, you're already doing what we're doing at 18, essentially. Mm -hmm. um, making a paycheck, putting it in the bank and stuff like that. So... And you already said your parents didn't, you know, just give you everything you wanted. A lot of things you had to save up and earn yourself. So what was your relationship with money at that point? Were you saving it? Were you spending most of it? I, I'm, I'm sure investing was kind of in the back burner of your head. Like, what was your relationship with money at that time, if you can remember? 
So I was definitely saving it. Um, what I would do is I would keep a little bit for fun money. Um, so when I wasn't working, I might go to the swimming pool with friends and then we'd go for a cafe, like to have a brownie after that would be like the fun of the weekend at that age. Um, and then I'd say maybe 70% of it, I was putting away in, in savings. Um, and I was very motivated by watching that money grow. Like I loved nothing more than going on the internet and logging into HSBC and seeing, you know, kind of how I was doing and yeah, saving has always been a big thing and it definitely started at a young age. Oh, that's, that's so awesome to hear. And so, so at 14, you're like, okay, I'm going to save 70% and spend 30%. That is like, that is unheard of. Let's be honest. Mm. Like that is, that is such a bizarre concept, at least for us in the United States, like a lot of children, you know, it, 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 it's very hard to teach a child delayed gratification. Mm. And so it seems like you learned that at a very young age. So let's continue with the story. Like you're 14, you're saving, you're saving most of your income. You're, you're still enjoying yourself, you know, yeah, going to cafes and going to the pool and you now have fun money and you have savings money. Where did that take you between 14 and 18? Did you continue working or how did that go? Yeah, so um, I continued working. I had a, a few jobs. Um, when I was 16, so uh, I was in sixth form, which is the last two years of, of school before university, um, I uh, had a small online business. So I set up myself and I learned a lot then uh, in terms of, you know, how finances work, the profit that I was making when I was buying the, the ingredients, the materials to make this jewelry, how much was I spending? You know, what did I need to sell it for? What was the margins? And that taught me a, an awful lot. Um, and I was able to uh, save quite a bit through, through that, I, I made quite a bit. So I was selling um, the jewellery online uh, in shops around where I lived. Uh, and then I was also going to kind of markets um, and like Christmas markets, especially. Um, and from that, I had a year between uh, sixth form and university. Um, and I went away traveling by myself. Uh, so I went to kind of Australia and, and Thailand. And a bit of that I used from money that I'd earned from my jobs, from money that I'd earned in that, that business that I'd set up. And I think that taught me a lot as well about kind of financial independence. I'd gone halfway across the world on my own and I knew that I needed to be careful with money. I needed to learn how to budget because if I ran out of money, there was no one there to help me. Um, so that was very much about having that experience, really having fun and going to all these different places, but also knowing kind of when to when to track your money and, and when to know when to stop. <laughs> you know, it, it kind of seems as though you, you forced yourself into this financial education space because you put yourself in a predicament that you realize, like, if I don't take care of myself, this could go extremely left. Like mm. the thought that's going through my head is like, okay, you graduate grade school before you go to university. You're like, I want to go to a couple other countries. Now mm. that that's very, uh, ambitious in in my opinion but and I'm not judging you by any means but that's very extreme so I just want to point mm. that out because you you know you said it like yeah you know I went to Thailand and I went here and it's like no those are pretty big feats to do at the age of 18 19. Yeah um, especially like as a woman on on your own I kind of look back and think oh my god I had so much <laughs> confidence like were my parents not really worried? 
<laughs> you know what? I wasn't going to say that, but I was going to say like, that is very dangerous, especially, yeah. I, mean, I guess it depends on how you travel, where you stay and stuff like that. It can be dangerous, but yeah, especially as a single woman, you know, you're not traveling with bodyguards. It's just you. And with, at least with today, today's a and today's day and age with the trafficking going on and stuff like that. I don't know if I would uh, suggest it, but hey, you did it and you're here on the podcast today. So it worked out. Yeah, <laughs> I don't want to go too far into this business because I know that you, you've talked about it plenty. But so you started an online business at 16. You're making and selling jewelry. Where did you learn? Because uh, it, it can be very simple when let's say I used to cut grass. So I knew mm. that the lawnmower I owned and I could go cut the grass and I'd use three dollars in gas and the rest was profits. Right. Starting an online business, you're buying materials. You're mm. making jewelry. You are, I assume you're shipping out jewelry. You are setting, you're buying tables to do local sales. These are a lot of expenses to take track of and to kind of run like a profit and loss system. So how did you learn that process? Was there somebody along guiding you? Or is it your parents? Or did you learn that from someone else? Because that's a pretty early age to kind of buckle down and, and learn that stuff. So I think um, part of it was myself and part of it was definitely my dad as well. Um, you know, I would always kind of lean on him for advice and like, I have, um, I've got a really good relationship with my dad and he's like, he's very careful with money and I often kind of lean on him. And like, when I'm going like investing, I'm like, oh, I think I'm going to invest in this. Like, what do you think? Like, we do have that, that conversation. Um, with the business, I am quite creative. And I actually went to um, a market stall in London and saw some jewelry that I thought was way overpriced. And I thought I could make this at home. So I went home and I made it at home for, you know, 20% of what it was like for as a price. Um, and a lot of it was I, I think I'm quite a curious person. If I don't understand something, I often research it. So I was looking at YouTube. I was reading books about kind of how to start your own business. Um, I was selling on a site called Etsy. Um, so I was learning about people that had started their sites on Etsy and you know, the advice that they were giving for someone starting out. Um, and very much, I actually, at university, I did business and marketing. So there was always that, how do you market it? How do you make it creative? You know, what kind of images um, will help sell the jewelry? Uh, and then I, I was doing a spreadsheet on the finances. And, and I remember my dad helping me out with that as well and saying, what do you think about this? Like, is, is this too expensive? Um, and he worked in uh, in like quarrying. So he knew a lot about material management um, and kind of what margins should be. So there was probably a lot there that he shared as well at the time. Yeah, I think it's awesome that at such an early age that you're able to, because the whole point of capitalism when we think about it is like somebody makes a product mm -hmm. and they sell it for whatever amount that is that they think they can sell it for someone else comes along and say, hey, I can make that product better and sell it for cheaper. And mm -hmm. it somewhat becomes a paradox to where at some point it becomes uh, so cheap, so reasonable, so affordable that the competition dries up. So you go to this market and you see like, this jewelry is really nice. I can't afford it. But if I can make it for cheaper, I can also sell it 
to be affordable. And so you saw an opportunity and you took advantage of it. And I think that's, that's one of the things I like about capitalism is like, it's not just they make it, they sell it, and we have to buy it. Like there's always innovators like yourself, even at the age of 16, that says, I can do that a little bit more efficiently and mm. you take advantage of it. So you, your, your dad is helping you along at 16, get this business started, helping you understand like, okay, if this is your cost, you have to sell it for this amount. And these are ways to market it. You go and you're like, you know, I'm gonna go boom, travel the world. I'm gonna go to Thailand. I'm gonna go here. I'm gonna go enjoy myself <laughs> before university. And then you come back and you go to university and you yeah. study business and you really get into like, okay, this is how you market a product. This is how you uh, do this. And this is how you get the business uh, churning more efficiently, I would assume. Is this something that you make a career out of? Do you pivot? Uh, well, let's start with how did you afford university? Did you save up? I'm not sure how they do it in the UK exactly with student loans. How, how was that journey? So in the UK, um, every year is about 9,000. It used to be 3,000, um, but when I joined, it bumped to 9,000. Um, and you were given a student loan, so I still pay that today. Um, and everyone kind of, everyone gets a student loan. No one in the UK, no one really pays it off, uh, except if you're kind of ultra, ultra wealthy. Um, but it's often considered a loan that you, um, you don't really see it as debt because everyone, everyone has it. Um, and it gets wiped at a certain age when you get older as well. Um, but it also depends on the financial situation of your parents. So you will get a student loan, which you don't pay back, and that's obviously your, your university fees. And then you also get a loan to help you in terms of just living. So that will be a, a rental loan. That will be, you know, your, your fund money. Um, and I, I, I forget how much it is. I think... Um, every term you get about uh, between maybe a thousand, two thousand, but it's actually based on what your parents earn. Um, so if your parents don't earn a lot, you get a much bigger loan. Um, and I think you can get like grants and things as well. So with some people in some situations, they won't have to pay that back. Um, but if your parents earn over a certain amount that is considered, you know, um, kind of just like normal, uh, then then you'll get like a bog, bog standard loan. Gotcha. So they separate your tuition costs with living costs, uh, food mm -hmm. costs and all that. And so they're different loans. And so uh, you mentioned that they get forgiven at a certain age. Do you happen to know off the top of your head, like what are some of the guidelines for you guys' forgiveness? Because in the United States, there, there are all these different, uh, there are loan forgiveness programs and they're also proposing other types of forgiveness programs so what does it look like in the UK for forgiveness um to be honest I would have to double check but I think it's about 60 um but in the UK there there is this there's kind of this um feeling that you don't truly pay off your actual student loan you just pay off the the, the interest because the loan is so high interest so you could be paying off and actually over the course of the year, depending on, on what you're paid, you might never pay it off. Um, I believe that if you earn under 16, no, 
I, I think it's 24K. If you earn under 24K, you, you won't pay student loan. And then after 24K, there are certain margins where you'll pay X amount. And then if you earn this amount, you'll pay a higher amount. Um, so it's very dependent on what you earn. But if you earned under 24K your whole life, you would never actually pay a penny of that student loan. Gotcha. So at around 65, around retirement age, the loan is yeah. forgiven. So you said you mentioned that right before you, you got the lucky timing of before you joined, it went from 3K to 9K. Yeah. You said that was per year, per semester? Per year. Yeah. So, so per uh, year. Yeah. So there's 9K uh, for three years. And then I did an internship for a year and you still had to pay, I think, about 1K for that, even though you weren't actually at the university. Gotcha. So just for like tuition, let's call it tuition costs, you're at $36,000 in loans for the full degree, the full four yeah. years, three years of education and one year for internship. Well, that is relatively um, cheap compared to the United States, yep. <laughs> but I can see why, because they're actually, the money is really made on the interest payments mm. done over your lifetime instead of the actual Okay. So, you know, that's not too bad. So, and then, so you end up, you had $36,000 in loans graduating. Uh, was there anything else that you took out for like living expenses and stuff like that to, to compound on? Yeah. So the, um, the living loan I was given um, is on top of that. So I've got 36K and then probably about 9K on top of that. That was like the living loan. Um, I was very fortunate in that because I was on the lower end of the loan, my parents um, paid for my rent. So if they didn't pay for my rent, my, my whole living loan would have gone. So uh, they paid for the rent and then what I was given, I lived off. Um, and that was, yeah, that was very feasible at that time. But also I think when you go to university, it's the first experience that you deal with people managing their money. Um, you don't obviously really experience that at school, but when you start dealing with money and there would be some people that would just blow it straight away because um, every term you would get that term's loan sent to you. So you might get a thousand every term and some people could blow that within weeks um, and then they would get a job or they would kind of live off other means. Um, they might get money from their parents but you could kind of start to understand people's behaviors and how they were reacting with that money because it was the very first time um and I remember when I would get it I would put it in like a savings account and then I would give myself a weekly allowance based on how many weeks it would last me do you understand how much discipline that takes Matilda because you keep <laughs> saying was, these I things I mean it was hard like that yeah I, yeah, I'm, I'm not I'm not perfect. There was definitely times when I would blow my budget, I would go on a night out and spend, you know, 150 pounds and I'd kind of budgeted about 20 pounds. Um, there was definitely lessons. I think that there's always been times like I've never actually been properly in debt, but there have been times when naturally I would go in into kind of my um, my current account where you've got a certain amount, but I would always pay it back within time. Um, but yeah there, there were times when I was like oh I shouldn't have spent this this much but it never got you know really bad so so what you're saying is you would you'd go over budget but you would never go into a deficit um yeah so I 
with um, when you go to university, the banks give you a student account. So you can go into deficit and it would be interest free. So I think they said the max amount they could give me was about three grand. And I was like, do not give me three grand. Um, I'm not going into that. Um, so I think I said it at like 500 pounds. Uh, so I could go into that because I knew that that would be feasible to, to put back. Um, but I mean, I, I knew some people that would get, use the whole 3000 and then they would open up a new another bank account and use 3000. Uh, and I had friends paying that back, you know, way like two, three years after university finished. Gotcha. So yeah, holy cow. So that's, <laughs> that's a crazy concept to think that, you know, in the UK, they allow you to do that. It's kind of like opening up credit cards, essentially, where you open it up, max it out, except there's no interest. It's just a yeah. bank account. And that student deficit was based, again, on how much your parents earned. Uh, a lot in university, things were very dependent on what your parents earned. Um, and I, I feel like that's a bit of a crazy concept in itself as well, that, yes, you can go into 3000 worth of debt because we kind of know that your parents would bail you out, which, you know, not all, all the parents would. And it's quite, you know, it's putting it on them a lot. Um, and even in the UK, I mean, we have uh, crazy house prices and a lot is dependent on deposits and those deposits dependent often on your parents. I feel there's a lot of things that are very dependent on what situation your parents is and which, which you shouldn't be. It should be about you and your financial independence. Yeah. You know what? That's such a that's such a great concept because it's kind of the same way here where a lot of grants and a lot of scholarships um, are not offered depending on what your parents do. And it's kind of it's kind of not fair because there are some parents that say, hey, look, after 18, whatever you do in college is your choice. You need to figure it out. And so basing, you know, on their income and things like that, it, it, it kind of sucks um, mm -hmm. using their ability to pay to represent you. So you you go into these student loans. It sounds like you're over $50,000 in student loans when you graduate between the tuition, living costs and all that. And the system there is just, it's so, it's so incomparable to hear that I can, I can see why you guys aren't too focused on paying it off because it is like guaranteed forgiven at retirement and you cover the interest payments. So were there any other things, because you're obviously living on less than you make, you're giving mm. yourself an allowance, which again, you keep saying it like it's all nonchalant and it's normal, <laughs> but people don't normally do that, especially in the United States. You know, they're, they're more towards the, as soon as I get the money, I need to get rid of it, spending mm. it, buying things. So you're already, you already know how to save money. You already know how to give yourself an allowance, live on less than you make. And these student loans, you know that you're going to be able to manage the payments. Were there any other money mistakes that, or were there any money mistakes that you were making around that time when you were in university, like credit card debt uh, or anything along those lines? So um, I've just turned 27 um, and I got a credit card a year ago. So I didn't actually have a credit card in university. Um, but I think looking back, one thing that I probably regret is, and I think it's very common when you're in your early 20s and something that I'm very, very against now, but um, the term keeping up with the Joneses. Um, and I, I read a quote the other day where it was like, don't keep up with the Joneses because they're broke as well. Um, and I think 
when I was at university, I really wanted to keep up with what people were wearing and like, you know, the latest kind of designer and things like that. And I, I, I couldn't afford designer, definitely couldn't. Um, but I would buy maybe like one or two and actually I, I shouldn't have and I went into my savings. Um, and at university, you are surrounded by so many people in so many different um, situations financially. Uh, so you will get people from ultra, you know, high net worth back background to people that, you know, have come from kind of like council estates and, and lived very much on the breadline and are very careful with money. Um, but it was, I think there was a lot of trying to prove yourself with certain items and like luxury items um, and something that I, yeah, I'm very against now. And I, I could probably talk about kind of, you know, Instagram. And I think that's, I think for people my age and younger, we have grown up in that social media era. Um, and it is like Instagram, I don't see it as a photo app. I see it as a lifestyle app. Um, it's very much this is the lifestyle like this is my lifestyle and it's not it's very edited and you have picked those pictures for a reason um, and I see a lot of people around me uh, of you know at my age but younger that are kind of still trying to prove that you know we'll put up a picture of a designer bag that they brought and you, you know what salary they're on and you know that their credit card statement will probably be very hefty um, but it's still trying to prove that this is the lifestyle um, and, a, and a rich lifestyle. And I, I think Instagram has probably really honed in on that. Yeah, I, I, I 100% agree with you. I think that most people look at Instagram as a lifestyle app to where they're oh. seeing, you know, everything that's going on in someone's life. But really what it is, and as people learn this, they tend to get away from that keeping up with the Joneses. But Instagram, places like Instagram are really just a highlight app. I'm showing you the best parts of my life. So it's either you're looking at it as this is my life all the time, 100%, or this is the top 10% of my life. And when you realize that you're just looking at the top 10% and there's another 90% that you don't see of the day-to-day, uh, you get grounded in your feet to, to say like, these guys are doing awesome but there, most people are not showing um, the other 90%. So I think that that is really, really important to learn. And I think it's something that we need to continue to teach each other. It's like, even though I look good on Instagram, like you don't realize that I had to work 14 hours yesterday just to you know, pay for this, or I had to do this. So yeah, I 100% agree with you that places like Instagram, although they can be great inspirations, they can also be great sources of envy for people yeah. and, and it gives them that keeping up with the joneses mentality like he bought this so i need to buy this well you didn't yeah. see that he took out a payday lender to buy this and things like that so i 100 agree with you so at what point did you realize that like you know what i need to learn how to invest i need to learn how to grow my money i need because you always knew how to save which i think yeah. saving is half the battle like that is, I think that is the majority of the battle. So where did you realize like, okay, I think it's time for me to start learning how to invest my money to have it grow for me. Mm -hmm. So um, after university, um, I started a role. It was like a, it was a graduate scheme. Um, and that's when I started having my first like salary. Um, and then 
I think from there I started saving. Uh, I was very lucky where where I was renting wasn't actually too much. It was a shared house. Um, it was lower rent than than average. Um, and then I would say investing is still a relatively new thing to me. It's probably been about two, two three years. Uh, so when COVID hit, I was like, you know what? I've got quite a bit of, of savings um, and it's just sitting there and nothing's happening. I was like, it's not, it's not gr- like I'm growing in terms of I'm putting those, that savings away. Um, but I need, you know, I need to kind of see it, see it grow faster. Um, and when COVID hit, obviously the market was a bit volatile. Uh, it, yeah, it, it wasn't performing very well. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to learn more about investing. Naturally people working from home. I wanted to kind of educate myself more. Uh, and that's when I started to get into investing. So it must've been, uh, yeah, about two, three years ago. Um, and I've been, uh, yeah, I've been investing ever since. And I think I always say uh, to friends that with investing, the thing that, that are in your 20s, you have time. You have time to watch that money grow. And I hear so many people that are a lot older that are like, oh, I should have started investing young because you need that time. You know, with investments, it's kind of putting it into for a minimum of five years and watching it grow. Um, so I thought, I, you know, I need to start at a young age. Gotcha. So let's, let's take a step back for a second. So you say you, you get your first job, you start earning your first salary, you all, you already start saving. So you're already Mm -hmm. living on less than you make. You're Mm -hmm. living in a shared home. Uh, Was this, was this out of necessity, meaning I can't afford anything else? Or was this a choice? So like, even though I may be afford to live on my own, I know that I can save so much money by living in like a shared situation. Um, so I, because I just finished university, it was probably that I didn't want to live on my own. I'd been used to living with lots of people, but also it was a very, uh, like entry level job. So I, I couldn't have afforded to, to live on my own as well. Um, and I lived with other people that were on the, the graduate scheme. Um, and I, I have always given myself an allowance. So you get paid from the company that you're working at and then I pay myself. Um, and I've done that since I started. Um, and I, I, my salary over the years has, has increased by quite a bit. But actually what I pay myself has only really increased by about 10, 20 percent. So there's so much opportunity there where I have been able to save and then, you know, invest. Um, and naturally, as as you kind of develop and you move along the career ladder, um, I've been able to. Um, so I now rent by myself um because I'm able to do that but yeah back then I, I wouldn't have been able to gotcha so it was kind of both it's like you didn't mm-hmm. you didn't you couldn't afford to live on your own but you really didn't want to either because you're like yeah that's you know that's pretty it's a pretty scary step I'll say for myself I was a little scared to live on my own I gotta pay rent electricity mm-hmm. all that stuff um and also you're coming from a university environment where I'm sure you also lived with other people in university so this wasn't like a foreign concept to you it was, it was, it was not a very difficult transition. Does that sound about right? Yeah. 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 I think that that's such an awesome tip for the listeners, especially if they are still in college or in, you know, going to university. It's like a lot of people that it seems as though they're racing for independence, right? The Mm. reason that you go to college is so you can get a good job. You can support yourself. And while that is something that I commend everyone strive for, 
I think that there are baby steps in order to get there. So jumping out, just getting your own place right off rip, it might not be the best financial or mental capacity. You might not just, you might not have the financial or mental capacity to do that. So taking the baby steps, getting into a new career, that is already hard in and of itself. So if you want to live with other people while you get situated in your career, there's nothing wrong with that. Matilda did it. I kind of did it somewhat. It was it wasn't by choice, but I probably would have done it being in the military. But once you get into that position, once you get situated into that and your career begins to become stabilized, then it's time to take risks in other area of your life, like living on your own and, and doing that. So you don't have to just jump out into the world and get punched from all sides. You know, you can ease out there and yeah, just, just ease into it instead of just jumping right in. So I, I love to hear that that's kind of the approach you took of easing into it, easing into the career, getting situated, then easing mm. your own living situation. I think that's awesome, Matilda. So you mentioned the 2020 crash. So you started investing after the crash of 2020 due to COVID or was it before? Um, so it's just, uh, so COVID, we went into lockdown in March and that's when I invested. So it was when, yeah, stocks were, were pretty low. Um, and where I was at that time in terms of the job, I was in a job that did very well in COVID. Um, and, I, and I kind of knew it was going to be going well. Um, I think naturally you kind of have to assess the environment that you're in and are you ready to invest? And for me, I always say um, to people, only invest what you can afford to lose because you don't want to go into your investment. So the first thing is have, have emergency savings. You know, if, if you are going to lose your job, um, you've got that three months worth of salary. So you've got that savings and then invest because if you don't have that emergency savings and something happens, you will end up taking that investment out and you, you know, you'll be losing it. You need to keep that money in and know that you're not going to touch it. Um, so I always say have kind of that, that savings first and then start investing. Gotcha. So you, you, you jump right in kind of, I, I would call it, that's like a, the into the black swan event where the world is on fire and you're like, ha time to get in, baby. <laughs> yep. Let's do this. So how, how, like, where did you get the education to take that first step? And, and what was your initial strategy when you actually started investing? So when I started investing, I knew nothing about investing. Um, I was very comfortable and confident that I could save X amount of money like that was fine but in terms of investing I really didn't know much about it um, and I leaned again on my my dad a lot um, so he's he's invested for as long as I've known so uh, so did my grandpa um, and I use uh, for a majority of it I use Vanguard so I use kind of different portfolios and very much about obviously having diversifying and making sure that if one is doing pretty shit sorry pretty bad um <laughs> the it's other okay. one is, is doing well um so a lot of it was from from my dad and even now when I'm looking at investments I'm like I, th I think that's I, th I think I'm going to invest this amount of money I would always go to him um and kind of get get a uh, yeah get his advice and I know that I am in a very fortunate position to do that 
Uh, and I think this is kind of where it stemmed of my, my financial Instagram is we're not all fortunate to have people like that. Um, and especially at school, you don't get taught any of this. And it's the same with politics. You don't get taught politics. And when you when you finish school, you often vote for the, pe for, for the person running that your parents vote for. And you often have the same money habits that your parents have because that's what you've known. And sometimes that's good and sometimes that's not. But you haven't been given that financial freedom and education at, at, at school. Um, so for me, I've, you know, I've learned from various books, from various podcasts, from online, but also from my dad. And that's where, you know, I try and use my financial Instagram to share that. You know, what you just said is absolutely amazing because even though we kind of just beat up on Instagram earlier a little bit, we kind of hit it with a one, two of, of its negatives. We also have to acknowledge the positives of places like Instagram, Twitter, and things like that, mm -hmm. because now information and inspiration is at the fingertips of everyone. And so without that, me and you would have never met, you know, mm, like yeah. this is a platform to where if you surround people that are doing with you what you want to be doing, it's a lot easier to become like them. So although Instagram may be a highlight reel for some and it can have negative impacts, it can also connect people and give you inspiration that you never would have gotten otherwise. And so even those who do not have a financial liter financially literate parents, now we have Matilda's page where Matilda's teaching us how to open up an investment account or Jane's page on how to purchase a fir their first home and all of these things that would not have been available to us otherwise. So shout out to Instagram. I know we, we bopped you up a little bit, but I love it. And <laughs> if you use it properly, it's a tool. If you use yes. the tool properly, it will get the job done. If you use a hammer to screw in a screw, it's not going to work and you're going to end up hurting yourself. Yeah. Which and you're very much responsible for how you use Instagram. Like you, you are, you can create that feed to how you want. And if you're following someone that is, very flashy and actually doesn't make you feel very nice about your own finances and follow them you know mute them um you don't have to see that and if you want to learn some you know something about finance or current affairs politics you can follow people that you know will digest that for you but it's up to you how you want your instagram to look yeah, I love that. Nobody's forcing you to absorb any of their content. They're putting mm -hmm. it out there and whatever you take in, you take in. Matilda, how do you, can you talk a little bit about, because um, when you started investing, you know, again, it's like a black swan event. You see blood in the streets and you decide, you know, to now, now's the time to take advantage. How much of that confidence do you attribute to having such a good financial footing? Because you talked about having a very consistent savings rate and you talked about being very confident in your employment at the time to say, like, I don't foresee myself losing my job within the next three to six months. So how much of that weighed on your decision to begin investing at that time? Um, I, th I think a lot. Yeah, a lot definitely weighed, uh, weighed on it. I always said that I have to have that emergency fund until I start investing. And, you know, so some people may disagree with that. And I think a lot of people, especially in their 20s, are put off by investing um, because they, they're like, oh, well, I don't have enough savings or I don't have uh, money for a deposit for a house yet. So I'm not going to invest. But, you know, I think 
start young and you don't have to have a huge amount to invest you can put in you know a certain amount each month you can put in a lump sum but the the key thing is to just get started young because the time is the most valuable and then start putting in what you can afford and obviously put in what you can afford um and I say uh, a few people and I talk about being in your 20s but I think being in your 20s people often think oh it's kind of a time that I'm a bit skin I'm obviously going out a lot I don't really have a lot of savings that's for when I'm um I'm much later and actually you you have a lot of advantages being in your 20s you don't have dependents you probably will you know a lot of people in their 20s or early 20s won't have a husband a child they won't have mortgage repayments and you can use that time to start putting a bit away in investments because you don't have all of that yet um and you can be a bit more kind of take a bit more risks at that time as well yeah i love it i think i absolutely agree with you it's like that is the time to be the most risky because let's be honest if you're 24 and all your bills are paid and you lose a thousand dollars in a market you know you have umpteen years to recover compared to if you're 45 55 you're nearing retirement you know you're not going to be able to take as many risks as you would have otherwise so and, and I just want to point out another thing that you said that's super duper important. It's like, it truly does not matter where you start. It doesn't matter if you start with $100. It doesn't matter whether you start with $5. It just matters that you started. It is going to always go up as long as you start. So I like to tell people, like, it truly doesn't matter where you start. It really just matters that you start. So I love that you pointed that out. And I think that that is a really, really good takeaway for those who may be listening who just haven't started. They might be saying, Matilda, I only have, I can truly only afford $5 a month in investing. We're telling you, do that $5. I promise you, you're going to find another $5 at some point to add mm-hmm. on. Then it's going to be 10. And then you're going to find another 10 and it's going to be 20. And it's going to compound just like your returns. But it, it, it cannot compound if you never start with that $5. So, yeah, exactly. You've got to start somewhere. Gotcha. So how does investing in the UK, how is it? And I'm going to I'm going to give you a little context. That's a pretty broad question. So I thought when I started investing that I needed in assets. I needed to go to a bank and get a financial advisor and pay them $3,000 in order to have them look at my finances and help me invest, help me, you know, multiply my money and all these misconceptions when it comes to investing, you know, it's Uh investing is such a broad term. And then you break it down, you get into this personal finance space and you realize like it literally, I can open up my phone. I can download an app. I can put my information in. And within minutes, I can buy my first stock and be investing. All, all in all, it takes 10 minutes to get started. Is it the same in the UK or, or is it a little bit more difficult? I know you mentioned Vanguard, which is super duper easy. You know, what is your experience with the UK and the difficulty level of someone to just get started? Uh, yeah, so it's, it's similar. It's really easy in the UK. Um, so you've got, you know, like Vanguard, AJ Bell, the kind of the big firms. Um, and then you've got also other companies that have got more like, they're a lot slicker in terms of the app. Uh, so we have free trade, um, which is a really easy app to use. And they actually do a referral where if you want to get started, you can have a code and you get a free share. And that can be between, I think it's like, 
two pounds to 200 pounds um and that's like a good a good way to get started you've you might have brought a, a share a couple of shares and then you also get a free one um and a, a lot of my friends use free trade i'd say that a lot of them often go to free trade and then when they get a bit more kind of comfortable and confident they'll look at you know places like vanguard and, and aj bell um but we get a a twenty thousand isa allowance so that's tax free um and then there are you know you can put it in stocks and shares um i often do a lifetime isa i, I don't know if you have that in the in the us i don't i'm not familiar no. you said it's a twenty thousand dollar what what exactly tax, what is it so it's tax free um so with uh so i do like a lifetime isa which is um you can put it towards like your pension or if you're buying a house so um it's like a, you can get a government bonus as well so you put in a max of four thousand into that isa uh, that lisa allowance and then you get a thousand on top of that every year every year and that is part of that isa allowance um and that can help towards a pension it can help towards yeah your house up to a, a certain amount um and then you think okay you've you've used that 4000 and then you can use that 6 16000 you've got left over to put in say stocks and shares okay so is this like uh is this like uh money from the government that they give you guys or how how does that work? where does the money come from or i'm i'm a bit confused how does how does someone get that $20,000 in the uk so it's um it's just like a you you don't get it it's more you can use 20,000 of your own money and it will be tax free so I could put in say 4,000 into stocks and shares and then when I wanted to take it out that wouldn't be taxed gotcha so okay okay so sorry yeah the government don't give us (laughs) 20,000 yeah yeah I'm gonna relate it back to I'm going to try and relate it to the United States. Uh, We have retirement accounts called like a 401k. I'm not sure if the UK has it where you put in money and it is tax deferred, meaning you don't pay income taxes on it. It can grow into that account to whatever amount it is. And you don't pay taxes or you pay taxes on it when you pull it out. What you're basically saying is you get that money, you put it in there tax free. It grows tax free. And you, the first 20,000 you get is also tax free. Is that right? So um, you get twenty thousand that you can use a year. A year. So every okay. year. Oh, so it's basically it, yeah, a yeah. 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 Because ours is like nineteen thousand five hundred, I think, this year that you can put yes, in yeah. without taxes. Okay. Yeah, that's awesome. And we have the same thing for Roth IRA, uh, Roth IRAs, traditional IRAs, where you can put in six thousand per year. Um, if it's Roth, you pay taxes on it now, and you don't pay taxes later. With the yeah. traditional, you pay taxes now, or you. You don't pay taxes now and you pay taxes later, but it sounds like for you guys, you don't pay taxes now and you don't pay taxes later. Um, yeah. And then the lifetime ISA is um, very much about the government bonus. So that 1000 that I mentioned, that will be come from the government and you will get that 1000 if you went to buy your house, whereas the stocks and shares is very much you put your money in and tax free. Gotcha. So these are the these are the um, kind of schemes, investment yeah. vehicles that you're using in order to get into the market. Yes. Yeah. So I I use the stocks and shares um, allowance, and then the lifetime ISO is the main main two that I use. 
Gotcha. And so without getting in, you don't have to tell me the exact funds you're doing, but what are the asset classes that you're investing in? Are you investing in just stocks, American companies, international companies, or what is kind of your forte? Are you an index fund gal? What's your philosophy? Um, yeah, so it's it's a bit of a mix. So with uh, Vanguard, it's very much, you know, like uh, FTSE 100, FTSE 250, um, a lot of different there, probably can't list all the top of my head. Um, and then free trade is very much rather than obviously a, a group of companies, it is just like in individual shares. So you might buy in Colgate or Walmart, but there isn't those kind of um, index funds. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So it's very similar. It's very similar to the United States. It's very similar in getting started to whether there aren't that many hurdles anymore to getting started, but also what you, what vehicle you use to invest in and what you invest in seems pretty similar on almost all fronts. And mm -hmm. so about how much of your monthly income, not dollar amount, but like percentage wise, are you able to invest on a monthly basis or are you even focused on that like are you focused on something else so at the moment um i think uh last month was between about 30 to 40 percent was savings of my monthly income um I uh, I always have kind of some short term goals and like long term, short term at the moment. And I've spoken about this actually a lot on my financial Instagram is recession. Um, so it's something that, you know, obviously may happen. Um, interestingly, I actually put a poll on the other day and said, you know, are, are people kind of aware what a recession is? 96% uh, of the participants said that they didn't really know what a recession was or kind of knew a little bit. Um, so a lot of the content that I've been doing at the moment is very much about recession. What is it? How can you prepare for yourself, you know, individually? Um, and one of those is my emergency fund. So my emergency fund, like I mentioned, is about three months worth of my salary. At the moment, I've decided that I'm going to increase that by four times. Um, and then I'm going to look at investments. Investments this year, I've been a little bit hesitant. So I've got the money there. Um, and I'm kind of reviewing and thinking, am I going to hold off a bit and, and looking at kind of where to invest? Um, but my main focus has just been kind of building that for, for the now. Um, the reason being is, and it goes back to childhood, I think, is uh, when we had the 2008 financial crash, uh, as a child, I think just children are very kind of aware of what's going on and, and the surroundings. They do pick up things. And I remember when there was a 2008 financial crash uh, and my parents were saying we need to be a bit more careful and we're saving this for a rainy day. Um, so we need to kind of be a bit more mindful. And I think because of that, I've always kind of when I've been planning finances, always prepared for the worst in terms of savings. So at the moment, you know, with the recession, what's the worst thing that can happen in terms of financially and with job? Worst thing is that you lose your job and actually loads of other people do. And it's going to be a really tough market and potentially um, the hiring could take longer. Um, not saying that that's going to happen, but it's just more about thinking of, of the worst case scenario. And for me, it goes back to I never want to take money out of my, my investments like that's the that's the worst thing I'm, I need to be comfortable and, and leave it in there um, so short-term goal is increasing that from three to four times um, and then looking at kind of where to invest and 
with the market where it is at the moment, uh, I think naturally people become a lot more like cautious, but really actually see it as an advantage because where can you kind of, because you're thinking about it long-term, you could get, you know, some, some things that are very, very low. Um, and in five years, you know, it could kind of be back to where it is in a, a normal state, maybe that it was last year. So um, definitely, I wouldn't say that I'm being cautious of I'm not going to invest. It's just I'm seeing kind of where things are planning out. And then I will, but I will invest this year. Okay, so what is your plan after beefing up your emergency fund to all basically a year worth of your salary, it sounds like? Um, yeah, so I will um, I will look and research. Uh, I'll kind of, you know, read. I will have a conversation more with, you know, different people. At the moment, I'm thinking about investing. Should I invest safe? And um, when I talk about safe is thinking if a recession happens, what's what kind of companies are going to be safe? Um, so I always think about like food. You, you're not going to live without food. Like everyone's going to buy food. So is it that you would invest in like Tesco here, Walmart there, um, you know, discounted um discounted shops usually do quite well in a recession because naturally people want to save money. So you might look uh, at BM here. Um household goods usually do quite well you know I mentioned like Colgate um tobacco alcohol that usually does well interestingly uh alcohol sales in the 2008 crash remained the same um than like a normal period so I I think there's two ways there's the do you take a risk and see could this pay off or do you look at more companies that are in bit more risk averse and are quite comfortable and will probably do quite well in a, in a situation like that um, but I am very much thinking worst case if a recession happens gotcha and I, I I like to point out it's like when I think when you tell me that financial plan I always think I like okay what is the absolute worst thing that can happen if Matilda decides to beef up her emergency fund from three months to 12 months the absolute worst thing can happen is she has more money like you're, you're not beefing up your spending, you know, you're not consuming more of your income, you're taking a more conservative approach. And so when I look at it that way, it's like, I mean, literally, what's the worst that can happen? And once you have that money, now you're able to take care or take advantage of all of the opportunities that may come with a recession. If, the, if a crash happens even more, you can take advantage of that because you have more capital. If mm -hmm. real estate ends up crashing, you have capital to take advantage of that. So I am still systematically investing, but I have no problem with people who are saying like, I'm still going to systematically invest a little bit, but I'm definitely going to beef up, you know, my cash fund to be able to take advantage of opportunities and weather storms, whichever one may come first. Mm. So I think and I think just just on the emergency fund, sorry, um, I'm going to increase it from three months to four months. So it won't it wouldn't be 12 months because I want to start obviously um, using that money towards like investing. Um, but I think as well, it's uh, because I've moved into a place on my own. It's probably made me a little bit more cautious as well when you're not relying on kind of someone else. Um, so maybe 
you know, if I was living with someone else, with a partner, you'd probably be uh, a little bit more riskier. I'm not sure, but it's very much, again, the environment, the surroundings that you're in and, and making that kind of calculated decision. Yeah, gotcha. So, okay, so you're going, so you're just increasing your savings, your emergency savings by one month. Yes, yeah. Okay, so you said three to four times. And so I just, I, I'm sorry. I, I oh, sorry. I, I think I meant like three to four times my salary. Sorry. <laughs> gotcha. You meant from three to four, not I'm going to increase it three times or four times. Okay, yeah, yes. I, that's my bad. I'm way ahead. But either way, I mean, I don't care. Like, I, I'm never going to tell somebody like, hey, you're saving too much money. You know, you got, you got to go buy a new car or something. So I think that's awesome. And um, it kind of goes back to what you talked about earlier, which was investing from a secure financial position. When mm. someone is just trying to make money to survive, it is a much different interaction and a much different conversation than someone who is already surviving. And now they have this extra money to play with because if they lose it, they're going to survive either, either way. So I don't, I promise you, I don't see no problem in what mm. you're doing. And I think, you know, having, having savings, but knowing, you know, that three to four, yes, you're comfortable with, but you don't want to have too much in a savings. Like I always think you know, if, you've, if you've got a ridiculous amount just sitting there in a savings account with inflation, you are losing money. Mm -hmm. So investing is, I, I would say, is the better choice. Um, because if you've got kind of 30, 40K sitting in there and inflation is at, I think, 9.1%. Yeah. So uh, I'd, yeah, I'd always say um, it, it invest if you can. And if you've got a small amount and you want, you know, you want to start putting in small amounts, small amounts, but just, just to start. Gotcha. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree. And then something you talked about way earlier in the podcast, I don't want to dwell too far on, but I I've scrolled up and I had to hit on it. You said that you talk about finances with your parents much more <laughs> now than you did back in the day. So are these conversations about your finances or are you talking to them also about their finances and maybe ways that they might, some things they may consider to optimize their position as they approach retirement? Yeah, so um, it's probably a mix. I'd say that uh, they're probably a little bit more reserved. Um, and I think that's just how they were growing up. Um, whereas I think probably myself I am a bit more open and and that's just like a generational thing as well um but they they've retired now so um my dad has been very good in terms of he has like various pension funds um and that we talk a little bit about kind of theirs in in terms of retirement and future and sometimes a little bit depressing uh, future state um, but a lot I'd say I talk a little bit about finances to them um, not like a massive amount um, I was thinking about kind of buying a house so I spoke to them about that and kind of the financial situation and I remember actually when I was for the first time I said oh, I, I think I might consider buying somewhere somewhere and I showed uh, my dad my financial spreadsheet and he was like what the hell because <laughs> he was just so shocked and he was like whoa like this is all like 
this is perfect you can kind of see you know where you've got various savings investments how you're budgeting where you've got your short-term your long-term goals um where you've like adjusted it so I might say oh I'm spending too much on this this month um and I'm very much you know track track my spending um so we talk about it a little bit but I wouldn't say we we talk about finances a, a huge amount gotcha well and the reason I ask that is it seems as though you know much more about their finances than the average person like you know that okay they have multiple pension funds and you know that um you know more about their retirement. So do you have any tips for those people who their parents are maybe nearing retirement and they're learning about all this personal finance stuff and they just want to make sure like, I want to make sure my parents are good in retirement. Mm. So the conversation has to be had. Do you have any advice for those who maybe want to approach their parents and talk about finances just to ensure that they're okay? Yeah, I think... To be honest, like where we have had conversations, it hasn't really been about their pension fund. It's always started of, um, I want to think about increasing my pension. Like, what does this mean? Like, and we we have a conversation. And I say, like, what 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 happened when you were working, and what did you do? Um, and the other day, I was saying, oh, uh, I'm going to group all my pension funds together because I'm kind of with you know various different different pension funds. Um, and we were having a conversation about that and then it led to how they did it so I think it wasn't necessarily a oh what what do you do it's more about learning and I think if you are curious and you're thinking about the future ask those questions and you know what did they learn from it because I think a lot of it as well is the the advantage that your parents have is they've they've probably made some mistakes and they've also you know really done well in other areas and kind of just learning from from what they've they've gone through um and I think especially when you get to a position where you are thinking about where to put this money or how do I like build wealth uh, what do I think like long-term plan um and one of them is a great example is pension um for me like I I put in a max amount in my pension um I think I put in like eight percent and my company puts in 12 percent that's 20 percent a year and I'm like, that's amazing. But for most people my age, they're like, well, that's going to be in 40, 50 years time. Why would I think about that? Because that's so far in the future. But when you get to that state and you haven't thought about these things, you are going to be regretting it. And I very much like live the concept of, well, I'm living in the here and now and I could, you know, I could get hit by a lorry any day. So, you know, it might not matter, but if it matters and you get to that age, you're going to be in a, a situation where you, you might have kind of just state pension, um, which isn't enough to, to live off of probably in, of what you've been earning. Um, so, you know, I think it is setting yourself up now and learning from people that have kind of gone through that. Yeah, I, I love it. I love the advice of like, you know, bring your situation to them and let them uh, induce their wisdom, let them tell you about their experiences, and you're going to get somewhat of an idea of, are they okay, mm. uh, just from how they give you advice based on your current situation. Yeah. And when it comes to the whole, you know, living for now, and I'm okay with that concept, but my, my philosophy is like, I would rather have it and not need it 
than to need it and not have it because the last thing I want to do is be 70 years old trying to work to survive I mean that's just if I get hit by a bus today you know what hey that goes on to my children it goes on to my wife it goes on to people to help them you know there really is no downside like yeah Yeah. so I think as well um, people think that getting rich is really hard and actually there's a few key principles that if you do you will build that wealth um, and I think, you know, sometimes people think that, oh, you know, if I'm in this, a different financial situation or oh, I'm not earning kind of this amount, I'm, I'm not going to get rich. What's the point? I'm always going to be at this level. But there's a few things that you can just like do little changes. And one of them is obviously spending less than you earn, you know, budgeting um, when you budget really looking at where you can kind of potentially make savings if you have budgeted and you realize that you just don't earn enough enough looking at okay how do I increase my income looking at things like taking advantage of ISA allowances pension and pension contributions that your work gives you and these are things that are I think quite kind of simple basic principles that you can start doing and that will that's what's going to build you wealth but a lot of people like you said are very much in the here and now and and a lot of a big thing to me is sacrifices so there can be someone that goes out for work drinks every time and will never say no and they will eat out most weeks and they will buy the latest iphone and they will you know do this and if you don't make the sacrifices you're not going to end up saving the money and those sacrifices are the things that are gonna you know pay off in the future and even pay off straight away um and the other day I picked my friend up and she she was just like chuckling to herself she's laughing to herself and I was like what and she's like you're still in that Ford Fiesta and I've had that Ford Fiesta uh since I was 18 so yeah I've had it for about nine years she was like, why don't you treat yourself and just like get a new car? I was like, why would I get a new car? Like it works. It gets me from A to B. I don't need a new car. I don't want to go on a, you know, financial plan because I have a car there that worked perfectly. And it goes back to the Instagram of having, you know, looking like you've got the best. But those little small sacrifices um, and, and the money savings is ultimately what is, is going to be how you build that and how you think about it like long term as well. Yeah, I, I like to relate it because what you're talking about isn't just finances. This can literally be related to every single aspect of your life. Yeah. You know, it might be hard today. It might sacrifices today. You might not benefit today. You might not benefit tomorrow, but you might benefit in five years, 10 years, 20 years, and the benefits will compound. You can use this for exercising. If I go to the gym today and I do 20 crunches, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to see a six pack tomorrow, but if I do it every single day for the next five years, I'm going to be thanking myself. It's the same thing with marriage. You know, if you, you might have to make some sacrifices today, but if it's going to cause happiness in the next five years, 10 years, 20 years, that's what you should be living for. I think with times being so uncertain, there's so many things going on in the world right now. A lot of people are losing hope for the future. They're losing hope mm-hmm. for that. Even, you know, a lot of people say the United States won't be, even be around in 10 years, 20 years. I'm like, if you think like that, you are never going to be prepared for when it when it doesn't happen. So it's like yeah. you have to be willing to sacrifice. You have to understand that although it might hurt today, you're, do, you're not doing it to benefit yourself today. You're doing it to benefit yourself in the next 10, 20, 30, and, and even generations after you. Because mm. I, I plan on building enough wealth 
to pass on generations. And I'm sure other people are also doing the same. Mm-hmm. So Matilda, you already kind of went over your, a lot of things you hope to accomplish within the short term, next six months to a year. Let's talk about some things you hope to accomplish within the next five to 10 years. And what do you think the finish line looks like for you? Mm, very, uh, very good, interesting question. I think long term is um, obviously building, building wealth. Um, I was looking at potentially buying a place. I think I'm actually going to buy an investment property. Um, that is more because I, because of the savings and the situation, I, you know, can put down quite a nice deposit. Um, so I might look at potentially, yeah, getting an investment property. Um, it's also that with buying a house, I, where I am at the moment, I actually don't see a place like called home. And that's just because I've moved about a bit for jobs and I just don't know where I'm going to settle. Um, so I think that's kind of the key thing of keeping on saving. For me, I would like to put down as much deposit as possible. Um, I'd really like to put a high deposit down. Um, I'd really like to be kind of mortgage free. Um, that's like the long term plan. Um, I would like to build my career, increase my income. Um, I think as a as a woman in your career, it gets a little bit hard as you get older. Um, so I don't have any children at the moment, but I think when you have children, um, it is a bit harder to kind of build up the career ladder. You go on maternity you kind of you come back and everything's everything is like a whole year later and you it's just not as flexible um so I would like to get quite high up in in my career ladder um and I think just being like being financially free like being able to do things and not really kind of worrying too much um and being in a in a strong financial position, I mean, I, th- I think that's probably what everyone wants. Um, but that's where I'd like to be. Yeah, I, I have no complaints about that. But I want to go back to something you said, because I think it's so powerful in the fact that, you know, they say that the American dream is to own your own home. And mm-hmm. although I do agree with that, I think not everybody should own their own home. You just mm-hmm. admitted that you're moving around. You're, you're trying to be flexible for your career to climb the ladder. And so you're not ready to plant roots. Well, if yeah. you're not ready to plant roots, you shouldn't be buying a home. I think that's a very, very wise decision because buying a home isn't a one-year plan. Buying mm-hmm. a home is a five-year, 10-year, 20-year plan. That's where you see the benefits. It goes right back to sacrificing today. So Matilda, are you throwing away money renting? not really you need a place to live anyways but you're just not in a time or you're not in a place that buying is more beneficial than renting it gives yeah. you a lot less flexibility and that's a great point of like buying an investment property like if you that is an investment for the next five year 10 year 20 year thing you know so that is a solid long-term plan and i love the idea of being mortgage-free I'm not there yet, but at some point I want to also be there. But again, buying an investment property for you is probably a five-year, 10-year, 20-year plan. It's not just a one-year plan and get out of it. So Yeah. And I think you touched on it earlier that everyone kind of wants to accelerate to the next step and they might not be ready for the next step. Um, and I, and I, see, I see this a lot with 
like you said about the American dream is everyone feels that they have to own a house that they have to buy this house immediately and what they don't understand is kind of the the costs that come with it and I think a lot of people are in such a rush to buy a house that they don't realize that it's not just putting a deposit down it's the monthly sorry it's the monthly repayments it's the you know building insurance it's the if your boiler breaks you know do you have enough money for that um you know it's it's, it's the interest and it's also if you think that you're not going to be there for you know two three years or you need a bigger place because you have children it, is that the right plan for you um and I think it is it's very much you know it's a lot with finances everyone kind of feels like they they need to be buying that place they need to do this and financially it might just not be as beneficial yeah. in that situation yeah I, I 100% agree all right Matilda we're going to go into the final questions of the podcast these are the same Four questions, five and four and a half, four and three quarters. Mm-hmm. Questions that I ask every single guest that come on the podcast. Are okay. you ready? I'm ready. Question number one. Everyone has their own definition of what it means to have financial peace. What is your definition? Oh, financial peace. I'm going to say it in two parts. So I think for financial peace, the first part is having that positive money mindset and really understanding and having a healthy relationship with money is the first part it's recognizing where where you need to make changes understanding your your budget your tracking and i think that is really the find that the, sorry the foundations for financial kind of peace and freedom the second one is and we spoke about it earlier but if you are if you are to lose your job you are actually yes it's horrible but you are in a comfortable position financially like you you know that you're it's going to be a stressful time but you've got the money you've got the means to be able to do that and I think that that is so key of like having those savings and knowing that if the worst case scenario happened it's going to be okay that nobody's ever said that before the, 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 I want to go back to the first part because no one has ever touched on having a healthy relationship with money because there Mm. are people out there that think money is the root of all evil um and it's it's just a big old myth and we need to just Mm. get rid of it we need to trade fruits back and forth and if you have that uh if you have that mindset towards money you will never reach financial peace you just can't because it's going to be conflicting the more money you get the more you want to get rid of it or do whatever so I think when people look at money less of as a as an evil, greedy thing, they think of it as a tool that can be used for good and it can also be used for evil. Mm. I think that that will allow you to become peaceful. And I think having an unhealthy relationship with money, um, especially living in a place like the UK or like the United States, it's not going away. Mm. So you're just going to be, um, until you learn to accept it and to look at the positives that it can create, um, I think you're going to be living a, a very miserable life because everyone around you is going to have more than you and they're going to be able to do things you can't. And unfortunately, I don't want to live like that. So I really appreciate you pointing out. I, I think that's the first time we've ever even hit on that portion of like just your mental relationship with money. Yeah. Question number two. If there are listeners out there that want to start building wealth 
and they have no clue where to get started, what would you tell them? So I think the first thing, and I will shout it from the rooftops every single day, the foundations is budgeting, tracking. The, the first thing to understand and to build wealth is to actually understand kind of what financial position you're in in the first place. And that's learning, you know, what are your, what salary are you getting paid and then what are you doing with it? You know, are you, how much do you spend on rent? How much are you spending on subscriptions, on your like fund money, on, like I said, on your allowance? And that is firstly, you need to understand and you need to learn how to budget and how to manage your money. And because of that, and because of having that understanding of I can save X amount, what do you then do with that savings? So, for example, like investing or understanding that you are spending less than you earn or because you know that you're doing everything that you can and you've kind of made sacrifices, you've made cuts, you've cut down on a subscription, you've lowered your phone bill, you've lowered your car insurance, you've done everything that you can and you think that you're in a good financially but actually you still need more okay how do you increase your income but fundamentally that first part you need to get right and that is budgeting and understanding where the money's going um, and when you understand that you can start thinking okay what's next you can't manage it if you don't know what's coming in and what's going out yeah yeah it, it's impossible it's, it's truly impossible so yeah no no uh no pushback from me on that when I 100% agree. It's like, um, it's just, it is the foundation. You won't build the mm. house on sand. If your foundation is shifty, if you don't know what's coming in and going out, there's just no possible way to manage it. Mm. Question number three, if there's one thing you could advise everyone to avoid doing to build wealth, what would that be? Um, again, I feel like we spoke about it, but keeping up with the Joneses. You, you don't need the, the latest iPhone. You don't need the latest designer bag or the latest car. And again, it links to sacrifices. And I think that we are very much, you know, we, we try and kind of show off, but showing, I think sometimes people find that showing off financially is showing that luxury item, but the rich people aren't showing their luxurious items. And it's things like, um, you know, designer designer brands like Gucci Gucci aren't marketing to rich people the marketing to people that want to look rich and uh, there's a there's a term that they actually I think they use at luxury brands like Gucci where they're very much you know how do we kind of market it to, to these people um, so I think it's really assessing like do you need that and do you need these luxury items and actually if you make those sacrifices that will pay off in the future like I'm not going to buy a new car because I don't need a new car but that money will be towards a, a, a house and a, a deposit um, and that I feel is an investment because you will see your money grow a car isn't really an investment you know often more often than none you lose money on it um, an iPhone you lose money on it um, so I, I'd say um, I'd say that that's the main thing the second thing sorry that links to that is if you can pay for it pay for it um and something that I've always kind of grown up with is if you can't afford it don't buy it uh so I'll I'll relate like the iPhone um my uh my phone broke the other day actually like it was on its last legs I'd had it for years uh 
and I went into Apple and I was like I just want to buy a phone outright because if you think about it in terms of a contract I was like well it's going to cost me a lot more in the long term and I I was able to just buy a phone outright and they were like okay do you need, is it the iPhone 13 and I was like I don't need an iPhone 13 I just need something that takes a few pictures um, and I can call people and it, the same with the car you know do you need that latest car and you know, like car finance or could you just buy something outright yeah I, there's a great saying which I don't I I was trying to think of who said it, but they said it and it blew my mind. They asked, would you still buy it if you knew no one would ever see it? And it goes to your example of the Gucci bag. Like, would you buy that if you knew it was going to sit in the top of your closet and no one would ever know you had it? If the answer is no, you don't need to buy it. Same thing with cars, same thing with shoes and all these other things. And so it's such a great point you made. It's like keeping up with the Jones is like, if you would not buy this, if it does not give a utility to your life to make your life better, and it's not to impress other people, mm. if you would still buy it, then buy it. But if you wouldn't, if no one ever knew you had it and it had to sit in the top top shelf of your closet in the back collecting dust, would you buy it? If the answer is no, you just don't need it. Mm. Question number four, Matilda. Mm-hmm. If there's someone out there that doesn't believe that they can reach financial peace due to their age, race, religion, sexual orientation, et cetera, what would you tell them to change their mind? I think this is a really, a really, really hard question. And I think it's also hard because I am a privileged white girl that I mentioned was brought into a a middle-class family. So it's very hard to kind of give advice to a situation that you haven't been in. Um, And I think the important thing is to just be aware of, I'm aware of my privilege and and the situation. And I always think that, and and going back to my financial Instagram is I try to make it as inclusive as possible and tailor it to different situations that people are in. So, you know, one day I might be talking about, you've got this amount of money, you know, how do you invest? What platforms should you invest on? But the next day I'll be talking about how to save on fuel or how to lower your phone bill. So, I, I really try and tailor my, cont- uh, my content to, to different situations. And I think the main thing is being in that money mindset of if you are willing to think, you know what, I, I, I don't think I'm very good with money and I want to learn a bit more about money. That's the first step. And then learning and in, in the different situations and kind of building your yourself up from there. So it's, yeah, difficult question. <laughs> Yeah, but I think you hit you hit on a very, very important point. It's like having that curiosity to say, yeah. is it possible for me to become a millionaire? That is that is a very, very important. The fact that you're asking the question re- makes me realize that nine times out of 10, you can do it and you have yeah. what it takes. And I think everyone everyone can start somewhere. It's just having that willingness to want to. Mm-hmm. I love that. Matilda, this has been such a great, oh my God, I've learned so much comparing UK finances with United States finances. And it's really not that different. It seems as though no matter where you go in the world, the principles are live on less than you make, track your spending, (laughs) index funds, index funds, and index funds. Yeah. (laughs) Matilda, where can people find out more about you? 
So um, I am on Instagram, uh, a millennial saver. Um, at, and yeah, you will see me, um, sorry, at a millennial saver. Gotcha. And of course, guys, I'm going to have that linked in the show notes. You're not going to have to go very far. It'll be down in the show notes. You guys can find that. Make sure you guys go hit a follow on her Instagram. Yeah, Matilda, this has been such an awesome conversation. I really appreciate you coming on, sharing all of your, your journey up to this point and sharing all of your tips. And I, I really think that listeners, I don't have many UK listeners, but a, a lot of the things you talk about and a lot of the things that you have brought to the table are 100% um, useful over in the United States as well as everywhere else in the country or in the world. So I really appreciate you spending the time coming on and telling your story. Oh, thank you. And thank you so much for having me. The, the pleasure is truly all mine, but we're going to sign off until that. I hope you have a blessed rest of your day. Thank you. Bye-bye. See you later. Bye. And guys, that was my interview with Matilda. I really hope you guys enjoyed. We talked about all different aspects of her story from before she was investing, getting started in her career, um, explaining the retirement count similarities and differences between the UK and here. So it was so enlightening. I love her accent and she's such an awesome person. So I really appreciate her coming on and I really hope that you guys enjoyed all of the great knowledge that she brought to the table. It's so great to get different perspectives from different people, especially for the listeners who are across the world, who don't have the same opportunities we have in America, but we can bring on people like Matilda to share her expertise because man, is she rocking and rolling in this whole real estate game. All right. But with that being said, guys, if you guys want to get in touch with Matilda, all of her social media and stuff is going to be down in the show notes below where you can easily get in touch with her. She's awesome. She'll answer any questions you guys have. With that being said, if you guys want to get in touch with me, all of my social media is down in the show notes also. So you guys can find me there. If you want financial coaching with me personally, it's down there. You can check out my website or just listen to other episodes of the podcast. But with that being said, guys, I'm it's time for me to get up out of here. I really appreciate you guys listening. And if you don't mind, leaving a review or hitting a subscribe button on YouTube really, really helps the podcast grow and reach more people. And I'm really here to change lives. But with all that being said, guys, I am your host, James Bowman. And always remember, you're only as secure as your ability to perform. So spend your life accumulating assets that can perform for you. Later, guys.